Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. U.S. employment reached 24% with many people living in cars. Amelia Earhart completed the first non-top solo flight across the Atlantic Ocean by a woman. Televisions captivated by the kidnapping of Charles Lindbergh Jr. near their home of Hopewell, New Jersey. Radio City Music Hall became a thing. Cost of tuition at Yale, $1,056 a year. (laughs) Babe Ruth called his famous shot in the fifth inning of the World Series. The president elected that year, FDR. The price of a gallon of gas. 18 cents. A pound of butter, 24 cents. A pound of hamburger, 10 cents. (laughs) The year was 1932. And just as significant to those, all those events in 1932 was that same year, there was a man and his family in the middle of a Great Depression who was so captivated by the gospel, so captivated by Jesus, during the thick of the Depression, When much of the culture or climate would have said, don't do it, or wait, they did it anyway. They started this church. Why? Because Walter Cunningham had a heart captivated by the message of Jesus and a heart for those far from God. And while that may never make the New York Times, it's just, it's even more important than all of those significant events that happened in that year. There began the humble beginnings of the Washington Union Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, 1932. And today, affectionately known as, in those early days, as the mission. And thus began the very humble beginnings of our church in a little red schoolhouse. And today, all of us stand in witness of those humble beginnings. We have all had our various pieces that have forged and contributed to this church's story over the years. There hasn't been one person, but we stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ who has held this church together and has guided this church forward and will continue to guide it in her future. During Jesus' ministry, there's a time when he is about to leave them, and he's about to predict his own death. It's an interesting time with the disciples and Jesus, and they're about to predict his own death. They have followed him for years. They've given up everything to follow him. His followers have given up much. And I imagine if I placed myself on the feet of the disciples at that point in time, I'd also kind of be a little bit anxious about where he's going. He says he's going somewhere and kind of wondered what's going on at this point in time. And the context of this happens, they're in an altar time low of discouragement. And in fact, some of the followers have fallen off. And now it's just a very small band of disciples at this point. He went from doing miracles to doing hard teachings. And now the people have left. And Jesus makes this foundational statement to Peter in chapter 16. He says this, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this what? Rock, I will build my what? Church. And the gates of hell will not prevail and not overcome it. And when Jesus says this, he says he's going to build the church. He's going to build the church and not Peter. This is going to come through the work of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And I don't know what you think about when you think of a gate. When I think of a gate, I think about things that keep things contained. It means this church, that things will, when you think of a gate, 
keeps things in and keeps things contained. But it means that death itself will not overtake the church of Jesus Christ, meaning nothing will overtake the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? It will not be held back, nor will the plans be thwarted. And if death can't stop Christ's church, then nothing will stop the church. And it's Jesus who holds the church together through all the shifting and the seemingly chaotic world that we live in. We hang onto the hope and the promise of Jesus. It's a gift to be the church. It is the gift of Jesus to have the church. And we have this promise that this is Jesus' church and that culture may come and go. And we may think like we may need the ideal circumstances in our culture to thrive or just enough of the right climate out there to thrive. But Jesus makes this promise, nothing's going to stop my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will build his church no matter what. In the course of the centuries that have gone by, you think of all of the kingdoms, all of the empires that have been there. I mean, think about it. The mighty Persian Empire, the Alexandrian Empire, the Greco-Roman Empire. I mean, you name them, you can think of them in your head from those history classes of long ago. And look at what kingdom still remains, the kingdom of God through Jesus, the church. And, and the centuries have tried to drown out the church, have tried to, have tried to persecute the church, have tried to drown this church. I've turned the church out, and yet the church still remains today. And which kingdom is still in today? It's the kingdom of God, isn't it? The kingdom of God is still in thriving today. And God began his church by calling ordinary disciples together, ordinary people who had little to nothing in common, and thus began the world's greatest movement, which is why we are here today. It started with just ordinary 12 people and has grown into a force that cannot be destroyed and cannot be shaken. If you have your Bible this morning, we are in Joshua chapter 4. Uh, several places we're going to sit in Joshua chapter 4. Um, we at Washington Union Alliance value the preaching and teaching of the Scriptures. And uh, if this is not your home church, make sure you find a church that preaches and teaches the Scriptures faithfully. Uh, it's on page 153 if you want to grab the Bible in front of you. And it's also on the screen behind me, Joshua chapter 4, and you can place your finger there. Um, just to give you a little bit of a big picture, here's sort of the big picture of Joshua. Joshua is a book of the Bible, obviously, um, the sixth book of the Bible, and uh, it's a great book. And so maybe to give you a little bit of a wider perspective of this book, we do a big picture, comes in the Old Testament. And when man fell at the Garden of Eden, and mankind fell, the, all, in the, fell in the Garden of Eden, God called Abraham out of many nations and said, I'm going to bless everyone through your family and through your offspring. And God called Abraham, and out of Abraham's descendants came the Israelites. And uh, the Israelites all across the Old Testament had this very complicated history, but God never let them go. And God kept on them and kept a covenant with them. And they were stubborn, and they went this way, and they wavered in that way, and God was relentless toward his people. And thus became the Israelites, the nation of Israel. They bickered with God. They were 400 years in Egypt and 40 years in that wilderness. And God calls upon Moses and cap taps him on the shoulder. And God calls a man named Moses and coins them to bring them out of slavery into the promised land that God had promised them. The first recorded words of the book of Joshua, some of the first recorded words are this, Moses, my servant, is dead. And it's like from the onset, it's like from, from the book of Joshua, it's God saying from the onset of this book, Moses is gone. So son, it's time for you to step up 
into my will for your life and lead these people into the promised land. It's time for you, for Joshua. It's kind of a young guy. Sometimes I feel like I am. Sometimes I can identify with Joshua. For Joshua, I'm sure he's felt like he was in over his head at points. And yet God, and God used him in very mighty ways. And the first recorded words, Moses, my servant, is dead. And I mean, if you think about Moses and all of Moses' history and all the things Moses did, I mean, under Moses, the tabernacle and the ark were constructed. He led them through the Red Sea, came down from the mountain of Sinai, and Moses this and Moses that. (laughs) And yet Joshua stood in bold and courageous faith. And the book of Joshua is how Joshua trusted and boldly went forth. And how God's people are always on the offense. And how the church can face boldly into the winds of this culture, leaving a legacy that can never be thwarted. Okay, so Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. You go there with me. It says this, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. At that, history has it, this has been about like three million people at this point would have been trying to cross this. So you can imagine the amount of like the amount of time and just the amount of things that this would have taken for them to cross this. Um, just kind of give you perspective here. And Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of your Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a what? Stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a what? Sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. That happens in many, several times in the scriptures where God parts the waters and then God's people walks through those waters. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua command, commanded them. And they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been put in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And there they are to this day. Jumping to verse 19. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had been taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you you, until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when it dried up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is what? Powerful. And so that you might always what? Fear the Lord your God. You notice that question there? What do these stones mean? When you see these rocks, remember, all those Israelites on the day that they were passing through the waters of the Jordan River would remember God's faithfulness from that day. They would recall and remember the faithfulness of God even when all had 
seemingly seemed lost and forgotten, God had not forgotten his people. And the promise of walking through on dry ground, the promise of walking through on dry ground was in front of them, and they placed those stones there to remember so that they could recall his faithfulness, that God was going to make a way for them so that they could recall his faithfulness from the past, but also so that they could courageously walk into the future that God had for them. Those Israelites did not fully know exactly what that land was all about. They didn't know fully what this would look like, but they trusted in the promise that this would be their land. And they walked through that water and they walked into that promised land. And that thus far that he was a God who was going to keep his promises and he'll never not keep his promises. And he will always keep his promises. He will not forsake us. He will not forget us. He will not abandon us. He will never forsake us. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we see even for those early disciples, even in those early, early disciples, we see that these are very oppressive Roman empire for those disciples. And even for that early church, which stood in some very cultural and fierce winds that were up against them, supreme opposition against them, including death knocking at their door, they stood against it with courage and faith. And the Holy Spirit went forth, and they went forth in boldness to tell that Jesus is Lord. So today in the year 2022, we place stones to symbolize everything that God has done here and to mark the beginning of all that God will do in our future. We set up stones this very day so that the future generations, some of these kids will never remember this day, but they will remember this day based on those living stones that we set down in this day. And we can tell them what this day means for all of them. So what kind of stones, you ask? In the New Testament, kind of Peter picks up on this passage a little bit, and he says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, we are living, living stones, each of us part of the church, each of us a piece of how we see this church's future. And this picture here that Peter's saying is that we are all various stones, each of us made individually, each of us having our own piece of this stone, but we're not just one big stone, but many stones that make up a dwelling place, interlocked, fortified together. And it's not that individual stones lose their character and their shape, it's that only together do they achieve the structural purpose of being the household of God. You see, each of us have unique gifts, but none of us are gifted in everything, because despite our differences, we together be Become the dwelling place of God's spirit and grow together in community. Joshua's story tells us that God's people should be strong and courageous to claim new territory for the Lord. Four times in the first chapter, we are told that God drills Joshua in his head. He says, be strong and courageous. And we look back on God's faithfulness and we heed God's promises on who God is and the purposes of the church, and the purposes of all the church is supposed to be in all of its fullness. These are promises to hang on to, and not merely just words to let it fade, maybe in our pant pocket. If you write it down on a little piece of note, and those, those notes and those ink kind of fades away. It's not just that. But we are the church, and we will, we will be the church. <laughs> and this is Jesus' church. 
And Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are, you are, not you should be, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And he says, you are the what? The light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and, light, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Take time to look at these stones, your stones, and let the memories flood within yourself and to the lives of your people, reminding them of who God is, who you are, who they are, from whence we've come, why we're here, and where we're going. Because we are going somewhere, church, and God is not through with us. And why is that, you say? Because there is more of his kingdom to come in our lives, more of, more of Washington Union to experience God's kingdom for us in Union Township and in Newcastle. Why? Because God, the Lord, <laughs> God has not sent the Lord of the church back yet. He has not sent us, and we still have a task for him to complete. You see, this very day, all of us are stones and participants of this church's present and future. We are the people with the stories, the ones whom God has chosen and entrusted with a mission to bring the fullness of the kingdom of God to our particular little corner of the earth. There's an exciting future in store. God's going to be the one that writes it. But today we pause. And we recall all the stones. In fact, you can, I can even look out here and see all the, the saints that have gone on. And many of you can see those same very people in these pews. All the saints that have stood here as stones and have been living stones in this presence of this church. Today we pause, we recall all the stones of the Sunday school teachers, the greeters, the encouragers, the prayer warriors, all the folks who've left a legacy here and have contributed it to this point, to all the very, very ordinary run-of-the-mill disciples, this is who we all are, in Newcastle, who spent those early years and many years praying for you and I right now in these pews today that we're all sitting in today, to all those through the years who have shed tears and have persevered through community life, to all the church is, the highs and lows, to all the folks who've gone on to glory and now cheering us on. We stand on your shoulders. The Lord is faithful and he will surely do it. The kingdom of God comes through ordinary disciples, the ordinary stay-at-home moms and dads, those grocery store clerks, those hospital workers, those students, through all the steel mill workers of Western Pennsylvania. I end with a message from Pastor John. Pastor John of Patmos, he was in his 80s at this point, and he pens the last book of the Bible. It's called Revelation. And John gets visions from Jesus that bring comfort to churches all across, which is now modern-day Turkey. And at this time in the late 90s, Christians had been suffering extreme persecution under the emperor Nero and Domitian. And he would turn up the heat on anyone who was a threat to his throne. Some 40,000 Christians killed. Many fed to lions. And so John of Patmos was shipped off to the island of Patmos, just off the coast. And John sees visions from the Lord. And while sitting on a pile of rocks, 
encourages seven churches all across modern-day Turkey. And to those churches, Jesus tells those seven churches, says this, I know your works, I know your afflictions, I know where you live, I know your hard work and perseverance, I know the slander brought against you, I know your love and faith and perseverance, I know you have little strength, yet you've kept my word. And Jesus is right in the middle of his churches, even in 2022. He's not passive, but he is right in the middle, standing right in the middle of his churches. The risen, living Jesus lives and moves among his churches by his spirit. And four times in Revelation, we are told that he is coming soon. Behold, I am coming quickly. Not will come, but is coming. He is coming. The process is happening at this very moment. Jesus Christ is not sitting on his throne passively anticipating some future date until he gets up and moves toward us. He's moving toward us even now. He is coming. And until that day, we will not be passive participants. We will be faithful engagers of the kingdom of God in our little corner of the earth. We at Washington Union will pursue God deeply, love our neighbors fully, serve others generously, bringing forth the kingdom in our township. And may God do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine and part more rivers in our lives as God continues to write our stories as living stones as a testimony to what God will do to the glory and praise of God. You see, at WAC, the message is still salvation. The hope is still our Savior. The heart is still the loss, and the cross is still our victory. Amen? Amen. But we, Washington Union Alliance Church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we, Washington Union Alliance Church, may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. All God's people said together, amen. Let's pray together. Kind Father, we bear witness to your testimony. We bear witness to what you've done. For all the things that you've done in this church, how you've sustained this church, how your hand has clearly been on upon this church throughout the centuries, throughout the ages. We bear witness to that testimony. And we bear witness to all those who have gone on before us, all of the saints who have helped be living stones to help achieve the purposes of God in this place. And so we thank you that you have been the foundation of this church, that you have been the chief cornerstone that you have been our Savior, that you've been our sanctifier, our healer, our coming King. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. And God, may this day we set up stones, living stones, so that all the future generations may come to know you as their Savior. Today we bear witness to that, and we leave stones living stones here to what you might have for us here in Union Township in Lawrence County and beyond. And we thank you for who you are, that you're a God who never forsakes us, who never abandons us, who's on his throne, and who's in the midst of our church. 
In your strong and powerful and mighty name, we pray. God's people said together, amen.